0: We believe. we believe we believe we believe we believe we believe that
1: man was created in the image of god
0: that he sinned and thereby incurred not only physical death but also that spiritual death which is separation from god and that
1: all human beings are born separated from god with a sinful nature So somebody said to me this week, they said, what are you What are you speaking on Sunday, Jamie? And I said, I'm speaking on sin in the fall. They looked at me like, yikes. And I, uh, they said, well, you know, it's kind of a daunting topic. How do you feel about that? And I said, well, the good news is I'm very familiar with the subject. So, <laughs> And I know some of you don't like hearing a pastor say that, and yet the reality is, is that I'm going to try to convince you of the same today, that though our culture doesn't like to talk, about this idea of sin and fallenness it's funny we our culture doesn't mind talking about mistakes and imperfection and oops and things like that we just don't like to call it sin or as we're going to see calling it the fall but but i'm going to try to convince all of us today that we're very familiar with this subject and, and that quite frankly the more familiar you are with it the more that you're set up to receive what jesus christ is all about In other words, I'm going to suggest today that you actually can't have a cogent discussion about God and Jesus without first understanding in in very, very deep ways uh, the sinfulness of humankind and even the fall of your own soul. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. All right? So as always, we need God's help to do that. So would you bow with me and let's pray. Father, uh, it's confession time in the house of God. It's time that we get honest about who we are as individuals and the things that we might struggle with lord if for no other reason than to simply call on you for your help and for your deliverance in our lives and so god i pray that as we talk honestly about this whole idea of the fall that your word makes so very clear that god you might help each one of us to parse this out for our own lives be honest about our own lives and to not be afraid lord to look inside our own souls and ask ourselves what's really going on there And then, Lord, as we're going to see at the end of today, invite you in to be the leader and the forgiver of our lives. God, thank you that there's not one person here today, not one, that's beyond the reach of your grace and of the hope that you give us. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So a few years back, I I thought this was hilarious. I was reading an article on, on the Internet that declared that Mick Jagger, the lead singer of the Rolling Stones, had decided to change his ways. And I thought, this I gotta read. And according to this article, it cited that Jagger at that time, just a few years back, was giving up drugs and booze and anything that would harm his body. In fact, he was on a total health kick. In addition to drug abstinence, he was only eating fish and rice. And the reason that this article gave is because Jagger felt that as he turned 60 a while back that he was starting to get scared about what 40 years of mistreating his body had been doing to him. I smiled at that point. I thought, we well, you know, one look at his lead guitarist, Keith Richards, will show you that. <laughs> In fact, it was, I tried to find a more flattering picture of him, and this was the best I could do. But you take one look at Keith Richards and you realize why you shouldn't do things like that to your body all of your life. Uh, but Mick Jagger was kind of saying, I, I don't want to do this anymore. I want I want to get right in this one area of my life. And, and yet as I read on in the article, it's interesting that as he ramped up this one area of his life, trying to eat better and, and not drink and all that other stuff, it was interesting that his, his sin, his propensity to do bad things kind of popped up In other areas of his life. Can you relate to that? So as he ramped up the area of treating his body better, this article cited that he was driving more like a maniac than ever, going through red lights, going the wrong way on a one-way street, speeding, things like that. Sadly speaking, it talked about his womanizing and that it was seeing new heights, with one reporter citing that he was entertaining numerous women back at his hotel after a concert. I thought it's a common theme in life when you come cut back in one area and some of you have experienced this it, it tends to pop up in another area and i smiled again to myself as i was reading this article i thought you know mick jagger knows that he's fallen he knows that he struggles with sin i'll never forget when he was inducted into the rock and roll hall of fame in cleveland ohio where i'm from this was years back He said this statement the night that he was being inducted. He said, and I quote, It's ironic that we are all here dressed up and on our best behavior, being honored for 25 years of bad behavior. Don't tell me that he doesn't know that what he has done much of his life and what he's been about has not been the most edifying and certainly God honoring things. And so we're in a series here at our church right now, as Troy mentioned, talking about our statement of faith. We're celebrating 50 years as a church, and so we're talking about the things that we believe as a church that we hold very dear. And so we've talked about things like the Bible, and last week we talked about the Trinity. And as I mentioned, today, I want us to talk about this idea that God says we have a fallen and sinful nature inside of us, that, that, that we know intuitively all is not well in our soul, something that even Mick Jagger has latched onto. Unless we think that it's just culture that's messed up because we've got to remember that if culture's messed up Then it has to point to you and I because culture is just made up of a bunch of people I want you to look up here and hear what the main point of my message is here this morning And it's simply this that whether we know it or not whether we admit it or not We are all fallen in our nature That's the only thing I want you to take home with you today Whether we know it or not, because some people really don't know this, whether we admit it or not, because we'll see some people don't want to admit it, the reality is, is the Bible says each and every one of us here this morning, each person in Scottsdale, each person in Phoenix, Arizona, the United States, the world, are fallen in our core nature. And now, to see this in more detail today, I want you to open your Bible, if you brought one, to Romans chapter 5, verse 12. We're going to look at just one verse initially here in our time. If you didn't bring a Bible, as you guys know, that's okay. I put the scripture up here on the screen. We've also included a Bible in the pew rack in front of you. Feel free to reference that. And and Romans 5, 12 is very rich, very pregnant with meaning when it comes to this idea of our fallen nature. Look at what it says. It says, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Now there's a lot going on there, so let's try to follow his logic and understand what he's saying. When he says there that that sin came into the world through one man, it's obviously referring to Adam here. That's the context, all going all the way back to Adam and Eve. And many of us know the story. If you've read Genesis 1 and 2, if you've ever attended a Sunday school class, you know that Adam and Eve were the first created beings by God. And God created them and put them into this garden called the Garden of Eden. And he said to them, enjoy. The Garden of Eden was initially a perfect place. Adam and Eve were perfect image bearers. And God said, this world I've created is perfect. Enjoy. So think about it. You and I today live in a world, as we're going to see, that's not perfect that's very, very fallen, so we have the fall all around us each and every day, but try to imagine what the Garden of Eden was like. No disease, no earthquakes, no hurricanes, no tornadoes, no cancer, no heart disease, no biting flies with malaria, not even a sniffle. Plenty of time margin, financial margin, emotional margin, no marital fights, no disagreements, no thoughts of divorce, no rebellious kids, nothing just your average perfect day enjoying the garden that's what adam and eve were created in and god told them to enjoy this perfection and by the way only one thing he said don't eat of the one tree in the middle of the garden the tree with that particular fruit on it pause right there we tend to say that fruit was a apple i don't know where we get that that's not in the bible if I was going to choose a fruit, it'd be an onion, which I know isn't even a fruit. But onions are gross. So let's just all assume that it was an onion and they were told not to eat the onion because God said, whatever it was, that if you eat it, you will surely what? Die. And we all know what they did. Being tempted by evil, they, they ate of the tree. And though they didn't choke right there on the spot and die, what you don't want to miss is that something did happen in their soul and god removed them from the garden put them into the world and now something was very different both inside them as well as now in this world something was not right and romans 5 12 tells us what this is sin came into the world and death through sin death as the body will eventually wear out and you might get 80 90 100 years if you're lucky but the body now dies and even more important the soul god said as a result of this fall is now separated from almighty god there's a spiritual death that occurred in adam and eve and what you don't want to miss so we're going to parse this out right now is that the ball started rolling then and it has not stopped rolling ever since that's what happened to Adam and Eve. You know, I mentioned to you that Romans here, this one little verse is actually very pregnant with meaning. Theologians actually point out that there's two things going on in this passage here that tell us about the extent of the fall and how it relates to you and me today. Give me another click here, Kurt. First, notice that Romans 5.12 is telling us that we actually participated in adam's sin back then in that he was our representative and in that way because adam was what we call a federal head representing the human race he represented all of us and in that sense we fell when adam fell romans five twelve says it this way through one man all sinned not all have sinned ever since then though that is true but he's saying all at that moment with Adam sinned. The theologians call this original sin. And though we weren't actually there, and though we didn't actually sin, but because Adam represented the entire human race, the guilt and sentence of Adam's sin was imputed, which is just a fancy word for meaning credited. It was credited to our account. And the Bible says that all of humanity fell along with Adam. You're going to want to hang on to that thought. And though some of you think this wasn't fair, we're going to hear in a video here in a minute how if you think that wasn't fair, then you can't claim that Christ's death for your sin was fair. So you can't have it both ways. But the reality is, is I think what the Bible is saying as well, is that if we were Adam, we would have done the same thing. That in our more humble moments, we realize that truly Adam was representing us, And that if God says he was representing us and we would have done the same thing and God is the one who has made us and knows all, then we need to take him at his word. That's the first thing we need to see Romans 5 is telling us that we participated in that Adam was our representative. But that's just a half of it. If you're having trouble with that, this one you won't have trouble with. And that's the the second thing Romans 5.12 is telling us is that from that point on we all became imitators of Adam's sin in that we now have a fallen nature inside of us that can't help but sin at times, and for some, even more than at times. So look at verse 12. It says, just as sin came into the world through one man. You don't want to miss that. Sin came into the world. In other words, it came into the world through Adam, and it's now infected this entire creation from that moment on. And we follow Adam in his ability now to not be perfect in the Garden of Eden. Eden. Every single human being has now been infected by this capacity, this nature in which we sin. And notice under our main point. This is really important, folks. That I'm not just saying we do bad things. No, what I'm saying is is that we are fallen in our nature and that's a very very different thing there that we don't just do bad things but in our sinful nature it is now fallen it's part of our DNA it's affected humanity that much maybe this illustration will help in the last few years researchers have made an amazing discovery they found what is probably the largest living organism on earth It doesn't look like it when you first see it. It's located in Oregon's Malher National Forest, and it's called the honey mushroom. And if you were walking in Oregon, hiking the forest, you'd see these little honey mushrooms, and you'd think, aren't those kind of cute? It just looks like some mushrooms growing by a tree, as you can see in the picture. But when you then discover what is underneath these mushrooms, as researchers have done, you realize that these seemingly small mushrooms are actually one huge interconnected fungus. One single connected organism that, get this, stretches three and a half miles long, goes three to ten feet deep into the ground, and covers more than 2,200 acres, attacking everything that gets in its way. And the real problem, you can see this in the second picture here, is that this fungus emits a substance that looks like white latex paint, and it attaches itself to the tree where it draws carbohydrates and nutrients from the tree and eventually killing the tree. It's a huge problem in the Malheur National Forest. And the Forest Preserve, or the Forest Service, uh, estimates that this living organism is about 2,400 years old and started from just one microscopic spore. Now, put all that together. One spore, 2,400 years old, resulting in the largest single organism living today, and it's killing whatever is in its path. The Bible says that's our sin. All the awful things that go on in the world today started with one man's disobedience to the God who made him. And yet like a giant fungus that spreads over time to all the trees in the forest and eventually leads to their death, sin has spread to us And it's now deeply rooted in our nature, in our root structure. That's what Romans 5, verse 12, is making clear to you and me. And that's what I would submit to you, that when you're honest with yourself and you look inside yourself, though you see good things in you because you are made in the image of Almighty God, at the same time, you realize something's not right inside of you. And that's what the Bible calls your sin nature or your fallen nature. So what do we do with this? Three implications that I want to leave you with here today. Three implications that I believe will help us in making sense of what the Bible says about the fallen nature we have. And the first implication, we're going to start negative and then work our way toward positive, okay? So got to have the bad news to make sense of the good news. Here's the starting point, and that is that we all need to recognize then that we have been born. That's the key word, born with a sinful nature that's what romans 5:12 12 is saying us. you weren't born with a blank slate you weren't born with a propensity toward good though you can do some good no you were born with some strikes against you if original sin is correct and it is you were born with a sinful nature and so look at how Romans 5, verses 13 to 14, would go on to say this. This is kind of interesting. Some back then were arguing that, you know, when Paul says that, that, that they're all born with a nature towards sin, they were saying, well, yeah, I guess I do bad things, but, but I don't have a nature that sins. I actually have a nature that wants to do good. It's an argument that many people make today. And so they were saying, I do bad things, but I have a nature that wants to do good, and just every once in a while I make a mistake and paul's going to counter that argument look at what he says here in verses 13 and 14. he says for sin indeed was in the world before the law the ten commandments was given but sin is not counted where there is no law yet death reigned from adam to moses even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of adam who was a type of the one who was to come now it sounds confusing what he's saying here it's really not confusing He's saying here that that, that sin was in the world even before Moses gave us a bunch of rules to follow. So sin is not just about you breaking a rule. It's not just about you following along with what everybody else does. And if you don't do it, then you're a sinner. That's not what sin is. No, he's saying sin is rooted in your nature, and even when there's no law, and even when you don't don't break a clear command that God has given you, like he gave to Adam and he gave to Moses, you still got a problem with your sin nature. And to prove his point, he says there, and I put it in yellow for you, that death reigned, people still died, and people still struggled with separation from God, from Adam to Moses, from the guy who first sinned until the law eventually came, death still reigned even in those who didn't necessarily do exactly what Adam did. Isn't that an interesting argument? It's a very pragmatic argument he's giving us here. He's saying, look inside your soul and ask yourself, do you feel the effects of the fall? Do you feel that there's a nature in you that is radically self-protective, a nature in which you find yourself doing things that you don't want to do? In other words, the reason this is so important, folks, is that it blows away the myth that our culture even today tries to tell us, the myth that basically says we aren't born with a bent nature, but born with a straight nature, or worse, a blank slate nature. And that really the reason that things are so bad in the world today is because you got a few bad eggs, a few outliers that have messed it up for the rest of us. Think about that. They're basically saying that out of 7 billion people in the world, most of us are good, and the reason that things are such a mess is because of a few Ted Bundys. I don't buy that. That doesn't make any sense at all. I mean, if that was the case, then just throw them all in jail, which we have done, and let's all get on with our good lives. No, but the reality is, is that the vast majority of us tend to find our way into a mess of our lives on our own without a few outliers to help us. Can you own that today? We tend to find ourselves in trouble in our marriage or in job or with our best friend or with Almighty God without any help from anybody else. In other words, when we're honest with ourselves, we admit that we weren't born with a blank slate, that while we were still very, very young people, we tended to find our way into sin, and the fallen nature inside of us reared its ugly head. You know, I don't remember the first time I made a mistake in my life. I really don't, but I'm sure it happened when I was just a little guy. And, 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 and I've marveled as I've watched my own children in this area. Now, and let me preface this illustration by saying this, and I want you all to give me a head nod that you would agree with me on this. I love my children. Would you all believe me in that? I do. My daughters call me from college just about every day. I pick up the phone no matter what I'm doing. I can't wait to hear their voice. They give me joy. My son right now and I are battling a few things, but I love him still, and I love it when he comes home, and all those things. I love, I love my kids and uh and, and and yet i'll never forget when hannah was about two and abby was about one and we were living in this little apartment in detroit And one day i was reading theology a young pastor and hannah walked over to abby she had just learned to talk and she grabbed abby's toy and she said mine and then she hit abby over the head with it and walked away And I just sat there kind of marveling as Abby was crying, and the reason I was marveling is I thought to myself, where did she learn to do that? She had never seen me do that to Kim. She had never seen that. She had never seen it in a Barney video, and we didn't show her lethal weapon or diehard at that time. So I'm trying to think. She'd never gone to a preschool where that might have been modeled for her. She learned to be self-protective and to even hurt another human being, her sister, all on her own. And the question that you and I have to wrestle with is where does that come from? Naturalists have no explanation as to where that comes from. They don't. They'll say it's chance, or it's just the way it is. But that's not an answer. That's like telling your kid when he says, why can't I have this candy bar before dinner? Because I said so. That works with a teenager. It just doesn't work as you grow up in life. So the answer is not it just happens to be chance, or that's just the way it is. There has to be a reason that we all have this fallen nature inside of us. And the Bible gives us one. It says that God originally created you good. He created you in his image, and Adam was your federal head. Adam was your representative. And in our stead, Adam chose sin. He chose to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and that started the ball rolling, and you and I are now born with a nature that is bent towards sin. We will struggle with that then all of our lives. And that leads us to the second implication, and I find this very life-giving And that is that when we understand we're born with a sinful nature, then, especially Christians, what we need to understand next is that you will struggle then with sin and with pain all of your life. Again, I know we don't like to admit this one, especially in sanitized Scottsdale, but the reality is is that this is true. You will struggle with sin and pain all of your life if the Bible is correct, that there is a nature inside of you that is fallen now look at how romans 8 verses 22 and 23 say this in very very clear language and look up here on the screen or turning your bibles over just a few chapters of romans 8. it says for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now and not only the creation but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons the redemption of our bodies don't miss he's saying two things there he first says this world is a mess that ever since adam and eve this world has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth i don't know how the women appreciated paul's analogy there but it works that just as childbirth is extremely painful and a groaning experience that all of creation is pregnant with the fall and groaning as in the pains of childbirth and that's why we have tornadoes and hurricanes and disease and cancer and all the ugly things we have to deal with it's a result of the fall but then notice that secondly there in verse 23 and this is amazing he says, We ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit. Who's he referring to there? Anybody know? I, come on, first service like jumped all over this one. They knew this. Gordon, who's he referring to here? Christians. Gordon knew that. He's just shy to say it. He's referring to Christians who, who have the first fruits of the Spirit. That's you and I, who are followers of Jesus Christ and have the Holy Spirit living in us. What does he say? We groan inwardly. In other words, the effects of the fall, the ramifications of the fall, battling a sinful nature is still part of your life as a follower of Jesus. And I think that's really important for Christians to know. I I know nobody ever says this because it would just be bad theology, but I hear Christians insinuate all the time that now that they're followers of Jesus, things should be much better for them. I, I just hear that. And and I don't think Christian radio helps because if you listen to Christian radio, you get the implication that if you follow Jesus, your marriage is going to be healed, your finances will be better, your emotions will work much better, and that's kind of the fall will get reversed and you won't have to struggle anymore. And that's just not true. The reality is, is that now that you're a Christian, Galatians chapter 5 says you've got a battle waging in your life between the flesh and the spirit every single day that you wake up with a target on your back because you now have spiritual warfare going on in your life and that you're going to struggle with sin every day of your life. You're just more aware of it. See, Mick Jagger can ignore it. Keith Richards can ignore it. They can cave into it. So kind of like a fish swimming in dirty water, they just inhale the dirty water and say, who cares? But you're a fish still swimming in the same dirty water, but now you know it. And now you know that God wants you to seek out more pure, clean water this side of heaven as best you can in your relationship with him, but you're still living in a fallen world and you still have a fallen nature. As we're going to see in just a second here, Christ has forgiven you. And he's come to bring you into a right relationship with God. But you're not going to find perfection, the culmination of that, until heaven. That's what Paul means when he says, as we eagerly await for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. That's heaven. But now, as he says in 1 Corinthians 13, we see through a glass darkly. And so now, as Chuck Swindoll says, it's three steps forward, two steps back. It's just that some of you right now are in a state in your Christian life where you've taken two steps back and you feel guilty and you feel a lot of shame and you feel like you're worthless and that Christ has given up on you. He hasn't. He understands that you have a fallen nature inside of you and he understands that though victory has already been given to you, the final war is going to be won by Jesus, that each battle there'll be times where where you struggle and there's going to be times where even sin gets the best of you. And what is grace? What is forgiveness? As Jesus said, if it's not seven times 70. What is his grace and forgiveness if it can't even be applied to those of us who have followed him and taken him into our life and say we want to do the best we can to become followers of Jesus Christ, but we still struggle with sin. I like how Charles Spurgeon said it back in 19th century England. He had a great way with word pictures. He said, Few preachers of religion do believe thoroughly the doctrine of the fall. They think that when Adam fell down, he broke his little finger, but he actually broke his neck and ruined the race. And he's right. When I hear some Christians try to describe the fall and sin, because we don't like to talk about this subject, you'd think that Christ came and died for a broken finger but he didn't. Christ came and died for a broken neck that outside of his miracle of grace is about ready to paralyze us all. And so the reality is, is that bad things will even happen to God's people this side of heaven. And it's no use blaming God because God will look back at you and say, I blame the fall. I blame the nature that is in you. You know, it was amazing when the recession hit, Um, I I get this, a lot of people were taken off guard by it, and you guys might remember I did a couple of messages on the recession and where is God in the midst of the recession, and one of the things that I mentioned is that, you know, it astounds me that people blame God for the recession. And I know many of us didn't mean to, but, you know, we know God is sovereign, we know He's good, we know He can step in at any time He wants to. So when the recession hit, and many of us hit some hard times, we'd say, you know, where is God in the midst of this, and why did God allow this, and all of that? And I had to be careful as a pastor, because I'm paid to come across empathetic, but I got to tell you, that was a hard one for me, because I thought to myself, how in anybody's right mind can we blame God for this one? I mean, think about it. Who made capitalism? We did. And by the way, I think capitalism's a great thing. I really do. I think it's the best economic system we could come up with. And, and I'm a big fan. But capitalism was invented by fallen human beings that, if we're right here today, have a fallen nature inside of them. So even on our best day, capitalism at times isn't going to work. It's kind of like inventing an airplane. Is an airplane a good invention? Yes. But think about what we do with an airplane. We take a metal cylinder, we put it 40,000 feet up in the air with jet engines, turbines behind it, and then we put fragile human beings inside of it and we fly 500 miles per hour. And nowhere in the Bible did God tell us to do that. Now, I don't think it's a bad thing. I think airplanes are wonderful. I'm on one about every month or every month and a half. I like airplanes, they don't freak me out. But when I hear of the odd airplane that crashes, though I feel terrible for those people, but then when I see on the news people saying, I don't know why God allowed this, I think, wait a second, God didn't say to make that airplane. In fact, if anything, I think God might be going, wow, these people got guts, don't they? (laughs) I mean, an airplane? Yeah, I think he's saying to the angels, look at what they did. That's my image in them. They're really smart. But then I think God also says, and they're fallen. And I hope they realize that because they are mistake-ridden human beings and perfection will not come this side of heaven, that there's going to be times where terrible things happen. And in a very real sense, he has said, do life at your own risk. And I'll be there to help you when difficult times come. I will be there for you. I am your great friend and forgiver. I'm your leader. But I'm not stepping in and taking over until the time where I bring everything to the end we're going to talk about that in a couple weeks. God will do that at some point. C.S. Lewis says that there is a time when the author of the play will step onto the stage and declare the play over, but at that time it's the curtain call, and God's waiting, patiently waiting for all to come to him until that time. So we got the fact that we're born with a sinful nature. We got the fact that we're going to wrestle with sin and mistakes all of our life, But, but here's the positive thing I was telling you about earlier that you're going to love and with this we're done and that is that the Bible says you still have incredible hope. You still have incredible hope. It, you know, when I was uh, preparing for this series, as some of you know, I, I decided to sit down with Dr. Wayne Grudem, who is author of arguably the best-selling systematic theology around today. He's research professor of systematic theology at Phoenix Seminary and on the Council of Elders here in this church and just a brilliant man. And I decided if we're going to talk about theology and our statement of faith, we might want to get Wayne's input on this. So I sat down with Wayne and asked him a bunch of questions about our statement of faith. And I want to show you just a two-minute clip right now of Wayne's answer when I asked him about this idea of original sin and and, and how do we make sense of this idea that we're born with a fallen nature. Look up here on the screen. Tell us about how Adam... Uh, can plays into original sin? Is he our representative? Was he a pattern of what is to come? Uh, would we have done the same thing in his place? There's a lot of questions that people have on original sin. Can you mm-hmm. just give us a, just a kind of a working explanation of what is original sin and, mm-hmm. and why does the Bible talk about that? Mm-hmm.
0: Well, this is another one of those doctrines that we wouldn't know about or believe unless the Bible taught it. But it says right back at the time when Adam and Eve sinned that Adam was counted as a representative of the entire human race. And Romans five nineteen says, by one man's disobedience, that's Adam, by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. Mm. So we were made sinners by Adam's sin. Yeah. Um, you might say, well, that's not fair. Um, but then the next phrase says, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Well, that's Jesus, the one man's obedience. If you don't think it's fair that you, that Adam's sin was reckoned to your account, then you shouldn't think it fair that Christ's righteousness is reckoned to your account as mm-hmm. well. So I don't think God made angels the, in that way so that, it, that that could happen. But he did make the human race in that way, all descended from one man, Adam. That's why the historicity of Adam as an, as, and Eve as historical figures is also crucial it protects the unity of the human race um, so uh, we inherited a sinful nature and a sinful standing, guilty standing before God because of Adam's sin whether we like that or not the Bible just says that's how God counts it and so now how do we deal with it well then we need forgiveness for sins and we need rescuing from the sinful acts that we all commit to
1: I love the clarity that Wayne gives there. Did you catch it? He, he's saying that, you know, if we got a problem with the fact that Adam represented us in our fall, then we might as well then have a problem with the fact that Jesus came and died on a cross for our sins. Because this is what Doug Moo calls two men, two, two, men, two actions. He, he got Adam, who was a man, and had an action that led the whole human race into sin, but in response to that, God sent Jesus, who had an action, going to a cross and bearing our sin, the sin of the world, upon him so that we might have hope of eternal life. And as Ian said earlier in our video, even life now. And that's the note I want to leave you on. And The fact that the only reason we need to have an intelligent discussion about sin and the fall is because, as I said in the beginning, if you don't understand this aspect of your nature, then you're never going to understand why you have a need for God. Because the reason you have a need for God is not only that he make you, but don't miss his folks, he saved you. God knowing that you have a propensity towards sin, and you could all tell stories to fill in the gaps on that one, he says that he sent Jesus Christ uh, to deal with what Adam led us into. And in Jesus Christ and his death on a cross for your sins, he now gives you a chance at forgiveness, eternal life, And life even here and now don't ever mistake this the core of the Christian truth claim the core of the gospel has everything to do with sin and forgiveness that's what it's all about that Jesus came to bring us forgiveness so that that separation we feel from God might now no longer be the chasm that it is but we can be brought into a right relationship with God and then walk with him the rest of the days of our life as we continue to battle the fall inside of us and, and you know though some of you have said well jamie i grew up in sunday school and i've heard that for years and yada 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 the reality is is, is that, that is the most profound aspect of your christian faith and so if you're a christian here today and i'll talk about the those of you who think you're a christian or not but if you are truly a christian here today somebody who has deeply gotten in touch with with the fact that jesus christ is your savior your sin forgiver your sin bearer that god is now your father because of what jesus has done for you if that's you here today then here's what i want you to do the next time you sin and it'll probably be shortly after church the next time that you sin i want you to look up to heaven or look inside your soul wherever you you go to commune with god and say thank you for jesus christ thank you, God, that though I just blew it there right now, and though I might have to clean up a mess over here on a human level because there's always consequences for my sin, that I know that because of Jesus, what you've done is to forgive me of every sin, past, present, and future. Thank you that you have forgiven me. Don't ever take for granted, Christian, the fact that God has forgiven you. It's the core of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. But then there's those of you who have never seen Jesus this way. Now, now, now let me speak to you about this. I, I, as many of you know, I, I grew up going to church every Christmas and Easter. I thought I was a pretty good Christian. And for the first 18 years of my life, I called myself a c and Christian, Christmas and Easter only. I would go to church, and I tried my best to be a good person, and I'd talk a fairly good Christian game, but I was the furthest thing from God. Because if you had asked me at that time about my fallen nature, I couldn't tell you anything intelligent about it, though I was living it fairly well. If you asked me anything about Jesus and why he really came, I, I couldn't tell you much. If you asked me, did he die on the cross for my sins, I would have said yes, because it would have been the wrong thing to say no. So of course I would say yes, as many people do today, but I didn't get any of it. And then when I was 17 years old, I uh, started to have a spiritual thirst that I now see as the Holy Spirit, in which I started to feel very convicted about my sin john 16 says that the holy spirit comes to convict us of sin in regard to guilt righteousness and judgment and i was starting to experience that in my life so i sought out a friend whom i knew was a religious dude and he knew jesus really well and after spending about three months with him he explained something to me that changed the entire trajectory of my life he said to me that you have a fallen nature inside of you you're starting to realize that and you're realizing that that nature separates you from god and that though you've gone to church a few times and you try to be a good person, that's not going to do it, Jamie. You need somebody to forgive you, and that somebody is Jesus. And if you accept Jesus into your life as Lord and Savior, you will experience His forgiveness and He will get you onto the road that you need to be on. That was March 11, 1981. I was 17 years old. I made a decision to become a follower of Jesus Christ. And I have never looked back since then, and I've never regretted it. I became a pastor by accident. I became a pastor by osmosis. I became a pastor because my conversion happened at a time when I had no other vocational interest. And so God said, okay, kid, you're going to be a pastor. But I'm a Christian first. Do we all understand that? And what makes me a Christian is my belief and trust in Jesus Christ as the only one who can forgive me of my sin. One last story, and then we're going to pray. Took my son Paul a few years back to hear an evangelist here in Phoenix. And uh, as we heard the evangelist, he gave a good presentation of people needing Jesus and then invited a bunch of people to accept Jesus. And then when he prayed, he got done. And uh, when I was analyzing his talk on the way home with Paul, I said, you know, Paul, the evangelist said that all these businessmen needed Jesus because it would help them become better men, men of better character, and that Jesus would help them in their lives therefore they need to accept Jesus. And so as a result of that, many of these men accepted Jesus that day as as Savior, but I said, "Uh, did you notice anything missing? And I was so proud of my son. This was about 2007, 2008. He, He said to me, he said, yeah, Dad, the guy never mentioned sin or forgiveness. And I said, precisely. He called Jesus a Savior, but the question becomes, what is Jesus saving us from? is he saving us from a bad character maybe is he saving us from more mistakes well surely is he saving us from financial wreckage well god might help you that way but the bible says that the main thing that god is saving you from is your sin that separates you from him and that needs forgiveness and i said to paul at that time i said never forget son the gospel is all about sin and forgiveness there are some of you here today that as I pray right now need to pray to receive Jesus Christ into your life because you finally understand. You've dabbled in church, you've been to church maybe even a lot of times, but you've realized that going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than going to the Lions Club makes you a lion. You realize that makes what makes you a Christian is embracing Jesus Christ as your Savior and your Lord and as the only one who can forgive you Of your sin and if you're ready to do that today i want to pray with you and so why don't we all bow for just a moment of prayer before we go father god i thank you that uh, you make it so clear in the gospel that jesus came to bring us into a right relationship with god and that without an intelligent discussion about sin without a realization of our sin we're never going to get the fact that we need a savior And so Lord, if I don't miss my guests, there are some if not many of us here today that have understood that aspect of the gospel, that core of the gospel. And Lord, I hope today that we all walk away with that challenge then, that when we blow it this week, we will do nothing but go to the foot of the cross and thank you for the new lease that we have in life now and for the forgiveness that is ours in Jesus Christ. May Lord, that be our response. I pray too, Lord, for those here who... Um, realize today that they have not had as full of a picture of Jesus as they've needed to until they realize the extent of the fall in their soul then they never realize the real reason of why Jesus and so Lord there's some who are ready to receive him as Lord and Savior today and Lord right where they sit they say a prayer similar to this they say God thank you that you've revealed to me that though my sin and the fallen side of me is a disappointment, if not a stench in your nostrils, that you've sent Jesus Christ nonetheless to be the one to forgive me of my sin, to bear my sin upon himself so that I might be brought to you. And Lord, right where these folks sit, they receive you as Lord and as Savior. They invite you into their life as I did 30 years ago to be the leader and the forgiver of their life from this point on. And God, I pray for anybody that has done so right now and prayed a prayer similar to that that lord what you would do is give them that initial burst of assurance that today is a new day for them it's a day of starting over it's a day in which they realize that their life now goes from black and white to technicolor because they realize the forgiveness and the new life offered them in jesus christ father thank you for the bible for how it guides us into a right understanding of you thank you for the holy spirit who illumines our minds to understand the truth that you have given us. We want to live that out today and this week and for the rest of our lives. We pray this in Jesus' holy and precious name. And we all say together, amen. Amen. God bless you. you.